This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside Marketing. I'm joined today in studio by Peter Tannum, who is MD and founder of Nimble Metrics. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Dave. And Suzanne McElgood, who is CEO of IAB Ireland. Welcome. Thanks so much. Um, this one is a particularly newsworthy topic because two weeks ago, Google announced that they're going to block the use of third-party cookies at a browser level um, in 2022. And before we get into it, and I apologize to any listeners who are well versed in, in this area already, but Peter, you might just kind of talk about cookies and what, what they are in plain English for people, just so we have a, a bit of context. Sure, yeah, that's always a good place to start. Um, so I guess uh, cookies, easiest way to think about them is think of the early days of the internet. They would have, um, when somebody loads a web page, uh, the, the computer will say, hey, website, give us the images, give us the videos, give us the text that's on the site, and then uh, stop. So it's not like a phone call where the line is open and the communication is constant. So what happens when somebody goes to the next page? How do you know that the person on the page before is the same as the person on the page after? Uh, so what the technical solution was, was that when the website is sending you the text and the images, they also send a little text file that identifies who you are. It saves on your computer. And that allows a website to know who a person is from one page to the next. That's the basics. So that identifier and then advertising saw an opportunity to remarket people and say that, you know, we're going to, those trainers that you looked at two weeks ago are following you around the web, the web for the rest of your life. And that's what we, we abuse the cookie to a degree, Suzanne? Um, well, I suppose, I think it's really interesting to, to look at that development of the cookie and really, yes, okay, so it was a text file. Um, and then what other uses and how did it enhance, I suppose, a user's um, experience online? So, you know, with that came the opportunity for um, content providers and I suppose initially, really, I think it was coming from Amazon in terms of actually understanding users' interests and choices on their site. And they really sort of blazed a trail in terms of, you know, storing interests, um, serving, making um, other recommendations. So e-commerce really developed and took off online as a result of the cookie. Mm -hmm. And then also, I suppose, the opportunity of understanding users a little bit more became evident in terms of the cookie. And so really looking at what sort of uh, content they were interested in, be it travel, be it cars, be it fashion, and then behavioral advertising, using that as an opportunity to serve relevant advertising to these users. Um, you know, and then from that also user-generated content sprung up and the great opportunity and, and take off of that for users to share, um, share their likes, share their interests, and of course, advertising opportunities being, being served on that. I think the challenge, as, as sort of Peter said, was the cookie developed as a piece of tech with no real knowledge of all these various uses that it would be put to. Um, and one of the, I suppose, downsides of a cookie is that it is can only be read by the, the player that actually serves it, be it a browser, be it a website. And therefore, there is a proliferation given the use of cookies now by all sorts of companies, whether they are uh, literally managing websites, in terms of the best content for mm -hmm. users or managing advertising opportunities or actually just serving relevant ads or actually ensuring you don't see too many of the same ads. That's all managed by cookies mm -hmm. and that has actually created um, some challenges. Yeah, and, and I think there's just, again, apologies to people who, who know this subject well, there, the distinction here is that the 
um, Chrome are blocking the use of third-party cookies or um, at the browser level. So first-party uh, cookies are still... Can you just kind of clarify what the difference is in that area in relation to this new announcement? Sure. So uh, if you if you think there, we were talking about the history of, uh, of the cookie uh, and there was kind of two ways that it evolved. One is to give a website that you're logging into kind of a uh, bit of persistency with with you and, and how they're talking with you. So Amazon remembering you when you come back the next time, Netflix remembering your password, your password or who you were the last time. But there's also then the question is people got to is how do we track people across the web? So how do I know if somebody saw my ad on this site and that site? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously the two websites themselves can't do it. They need uh, a way to join up. And that's where third parties came in uh, to fill that gap. So a third party cookie is if you visit, say, the Irish Times website, but a YouTube video is playing there, a YouTube cookie or a Google cookie might come onto your uh, your computer or your device. And that's what's considered a third party cookie. So something that isn't the web from the website that you're visiting. Suzanne, we talked a little bit off air about the um, tech labs and just could you, do you want to give me a bit more detail about the your IAB's perspective on, on this whole issue about phasing out cookies? Um, yeah, I think, you know, firstly, the interesting thing about IAB is that we represent the whole industry. Mm-hmm. So we represent Dentsu and all the other agencies. We represent all the publishers and we represent the vendors and, and companies, um, tech companies like Peters. Um, so we're, we're sort of well placed and we also represent advertisers. And this is an issue for everybody because you know, I think the significance of this in many ways, as Peter, I know, will discuss again, is first party data is going to become more and more important for everybody in the industry. Um, But also the clunkiness of the cookie, which I was sort of trying to explain there in terms of the historical development of it, um, that has focused minds as well. So IB Tech Lab, and again, for your, your listeners, you know, all this information is available online. And, you know, there's a lot of tech background, which I won't go into, but that's the forte of IB Tech Lab. And they have funding to look at big picture solutions. Mm-hmm. So one that they're looking at in this respect is really um, recommending a solution that would be sort of a universal standard in terms of um, an identity, a a digital identity, and what that would do, because there's also privacy um, concerns in relation to cookies and the proliferation of cookies Mm -hmm. and companies accessing data. So what this universal standard would would have is also within it, the user's preferences in terms of of, um, privacy would be built into it, baked into it, and any company seeking to use that and and avail of that ID would actually have to comply with those privacy standards. Um, and within that, there would be regulatory um, mm-hmm. adherence required and compliance, and that would be baked into the software. And then also, who would own this? Who would own this ID? Well, again, what IB Tech Lab is recommending that it would be a public utility. So okay, really yeah. signifying the importance of this and proper regulation of it by government entities. And again, saying the marketing and advertising industry should be involved in setting the standards with the browsers and the governance. So, you know, it's a very important piece of work. It is it is happening now and it's available on the Tech Lab site for companies to inform themselves of. There are also other solutions, and I think Peter can probably speak of that. There's a lot of companies looking at first-party solutions, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss that yeah. as well. And you both, you both talked about the importance of first-party data there. And Peter, you you spoke last year, and it was a really interesting topic about how the industry chases uh, new customers' um, acquisition mm. was was at the expense. And then they didn't really focus too much on retention. And we talked last year about the ability of a tool that you, you had in your company to unlock first-party data on the open web, 
How does this new regulation impact that tool? Is that null and void now or is it more important than ever? Well, obviously I'm biased, so I'll say more important than ever, but but I genuinely do believe that too. So I think um, with any big transformational change like this, like GDPR, the new laws, and the tech company's reaction to it and with it. So Apple uh, blocking all, uh, making their decisions around blocking cookies and, and Google now doing the same. I think with any big change, there's going to be winners and losers within that. Um, even if uh, on a whole as an industry, I think it's going to be a net positive for consumers and mm-hmm. advertisers. Obviously, the, the people who benefit uh, or don't benefit from it uh, will be, you know, it'll look different in 10 years time than it does mm-hmm. now. And I think uh, that piece that we talked about on the last podcast that I was on about companies who build long-term relationships and and publishers and businesses who build long-term consent-based relationships with their their customers or their readers or their viewers are the ones who will win over time. Mm. I think that still holds true and is probably even more true uh, with these new cookie announcements. So uh, what we do as one example of it is is, uh, customer match. So uh, with Dentsu, we have a product in the market called Dentsu ID that does helps you get uh, your first-party data yeah. uh, and use that to to better target your advertising. And what that means is uh, you're not relying on what third parties know about uh, somebody. You're relying on yeah. what you know about a customer, or a publisher is relying on what they know about a customer and and the relationship they have with them. Yeah, great. Um, so. And you've an article in the Times today, and, and and it's a quite provocative title, and it's asking, is it, is the death of cookies the end of personalization? And Suzanne, I'm going to jump to you here because what happens to the industry? It seems that the, the narrative that we were talking about as a, as an industry was all about. We were talking about moving from mass to one to one personalization, and and the, the targeting capabilities outstripped the, the requirement for it. I don't know whether you need one-on-one um, messaging and you don't certainly don't have creative requirement for that, but that was the narrative that the industry talked about. And now it feels that that direction of travel, has the, the, the rug has been pulled from under us. Do you think that this announcement has set the industry back five years, 10 years? Um, I think, you know, it has focused minds. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of work being done in the background with companies like Peters and others. Um, there are a lot of MarTech solutions that will be looking at um, helping companies get that first party data. Already, you know, I would have to say, you know, premium content publishers, you know, have um, access to first party data and, and many are really pursuing this. Um, I think it will focus more minds on the significance and importance of that. Um, and again, I suppose, as Peter said, that relationship between be it publisher, be it brand, be it agency, even with ultimate users is really important. Mm-hmm. And to gain that first party consent and to be respectful of it. Yeah. I think we all need to acknowledge that. And, and you know, indeed, we had a Brand Council meeting just yesterday and and this um this this whole issue in, in terms of what's going to happen and the potential solutions was raised by one of the one of the leading advertisers in our market and actually with an interesting perspective and saying this could be a real opportunity for Ireland to look at a solution mm. in terms of you know, better use of first party data and, and helping these brands make better use of that and matching um, and matching functions and looking at Ireland as a test market. So, you know, I think, yes, if there will be challenges, you know, there will be changes, but there are also always going to be opportunities. And 
The major platforms, of course, are looking at this and have had a lead in time. Um, you know, other browsers have made this move already. So it's not unusual. However, there can also be opportunities for the Irish market. And I suppose as the trade org, what I would be saying is we can be sure we have seen companies being developed and, and absolutely new opportunities like Snapchat and, and you know, within very short periods of time previously. Um, I look at my tenure in IAB. I mean, Facebook didn't even exist when IAB first started in Ireland. Yeah. And, and now look at the changes. So you can be sure there will be solutions. Um, there may be some um, changes in the interim, but we will assist on behalf of our members to bring that to you from local and, and global markets. And I think there will also be positive changes, as I said, in terms of consumer confidence and that relationship between um, businesses and their users. Yeah, and it's a great point because you mentioned it there that um, Google's announcement, it shouldn't have come as a surprise really because the other browsers had done this previously. But yet, and, and we all knew it was going to happen at some point. And yet when it was announced, it, it did seem to come as a, as, as a bit of a shock to people which or a surprise to a degree. And maybe that was because um, there was finality in it. They've given the industry notice, as you mentioned earlier on. But Peter, in the article today, which and I urge people to check it out, it's a great read. It's really well written. Um, you you mentioned that this is actually a lot of the things that that we're we're talking about today should have already been happening long before GDPR came in. So, she expand on that. Does that mean that everybody was playing well, playing loose with the rules or breaking the law? Maybe <laughs> it's a very good question. I think uh, I sometimes imagine that when I'm uh, an old man, I'll get to say that I was around for the wild west days of the internet, uh, which was when not everyone was figuring it out, right? Yeah. Uh, it's I don't think you have to attribute bad intent to any of this. Uh, I think uh, regulators, you know, all of us as you know, businesses, advertisers, society generally are kind of figuring out what this technology means, what the limitations are, what we do with it, and I think. Um, I think Google's decision Google's decision surprised me a little bit, to be honest, because unlike Apple, uh, Google are an advertising business. Mm. Um, and I know Apple both cares a lot about privacy, and I believe that because it's something they've been talking about for a decade, but it also doesn't hurt that their business model doesn't depend on, you know, isn't in yeah, conflict yeah. with it in any way. So it's a double win for them. But uh, like this, it, it reminds me actually of, Steve Jobs 10 years ago, when he was talking about privacy, he was also talking about trajectories a lot, which was, uh, he, he gave a famous speech when they stopped using Flash in iPhones. And everyone said, what, everything is on Flash. YouTube is on Flash. And he said, no, Flash is, is, in 10 years time, it'll be the way of the dodo. And actually, I, right. Google just announced very recently that Flash isn't gonna be supported by the end of this year. Yeah. Right. But they did it with floppy disk drives. They stopped putting in, them in the laptops way while everyone was still phasing them out. Mm -hmm. They did it with Flash while everyone still thought it was, you know, it, it was still popular and used. And I think this is the kind of decision that Google is making now is saying, look, we could scramble and we could fight and we could have maybe stretch this from two out to five years of how we try to figure it out. But really, if you're looking at the long term, like you got to uh, uh, you got to place your bets on the fact that the future isn't in cookie based third party mm -hmm. cookie based solutions like this. The future is in either first first party data or uh, like kind of universal ID situations that uh, Suzanne was talking about there or a number of other solutions. Mm -hmm. And to be to be honest to me, it's really exciting to see that we're going to now have there's so many bright young minds in advertising that spend so much of their time working, trying to make an old tech solution work. 
And there's so much time. I'm sure all of us have seen slide decks and pitches about cookie-based solutions that overpromise or can't really quite do what they say they can do. And it's a lot of trying to fit a fit in a, a square peg into a round hole. But now this, these kind of changes unleash a lot of that talent to work on uh, things that work for industry and for consumers alike. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's a good point. There's there's nothing like a deadline to focus the mind. I yeah. know that from this podcast comes around really quickly every week. And, you know, once you commit to doing it and you put it out there, you, you got to stick with it. Um, in the article today, just to stick with you for a second, you have a phrase that I love and it, and it says great intention with clumsy implementation when you talk about um, GDPR and regulation and cookies. And when we think about what we saw with GDPR, and this came up before, it's a sense of overcorrection. Um, and I think it was people who didn't, not the end user, people who overregulated, didn't put the user experience at heart. And what we've ended up doing is creating a pretty horrible user experience in terms of when we go onto websites and that kind of thing. Um, it's important that we realize that that this is done with, with the user, not the advertiser. And we'll, come, we'll touch on this in a second, Suzanne. Uh, and you mentioned that the internet wasn't built with the end user consent in mind and that data privacy is going to become much more important. So, um, mm. What are your thoughts on that? That's a long question, but sure, yeah. I think so. Like personally, I'm a big fan of GDPR, and I think most of the heavy lifting of GDPR is being done in the background. If you could, people, I'm sure people listening to this because it's an industry podcast know how much time and energy is spent on on double checking that we're not doing silly things with letting databases be accessible, that we're not just throwing around Excel files with a hundred thousand emails in them. You know, those mm-hmm. were the things that generally Wait happened. Down five years ago and everyone's just really careful about them now so i think if that's the only thing gdpr achieves it'll it'll be good it'll cause less data breaches and people will just be a bit more respectful i think where it becomes difficult is the fact that you have uh, the law is now coming in saying uh, full consent should be granted every time for cookies but that is not how the internet was built. Yeah. And you could argue it either way. You could, should say, okay, well, it should have been built that way. Yeah. And therefore, uh, the law should say, you know, this is the threshold and we everybody needs to meet it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if there was enough consideration given to transition or how we move from one to the other. Um, maybe, maybe it'll be that this two years or three years of super annoyance where we all have to click okay to everything is the forcing mechanism that gets us to the new solution. I, I worry that it might cause like consent fatigue, yeah. that everyone's just clicking okay Absolutely, to everything, yeah. or everyone's getting a little bit blind, or even that it kind of uh, it makes a bit unpopular what is generally a, a good set of laws moving in a good set mm-hmm. of direction. How most people actually interface with that is through the, the cookie things that mm-hmm. they have to click mm-hmm. okay to all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I'm genuinely unsure. I can see it arguing yeah. both ways, but yeah. Yeah, and, and I suppose just to add to that in terms of the perspective of IAB and our members, and, and I think also as, as users, I, you know, I agree. I think, um, and to be honest, we would have been involved in consultation in terms of, um, you know, the, the framing and worked very hard to seek to educate MEPs um, and policymakers, to be honest, in terms of the complexity complexity, the technical complexity. And at times that can seem to be, oh, that's the industry just trying to prevent change. But actually, you know, in our discussion today, we can see there are inherent issues with the cookie and the challenges mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. And yet there haven't been. Um, and, and sometimes I, I would have to say regulators do very much push it back on the industry. Well, then come up with a solution where, you know, you yeah. have to do this. OK, we, we do understand that. 
But again, for those of us in business and Dentsu and, and many of, of those listening in here is, you know, every comp- a lot of the companies are smaller companies. They have certain amount of resources. These are huge issues. You know, an organization like Tech Lab can look at the, you know, the possibility of creating a standardized ID. But for most of the companies working in, in Ireland, that is a huge problem. Yeah. Um, and so certainly I we would hope um, that policymakers would listen. You know, our industry wants to be compliant and, and, and all the members want to have that engagement with users. And we get that. And nobody wants that more than a brand advertiser, publisher or or uh, vendors. Um, but the way it has, um, I suppose, been developed, that has made this challenging. And, and again, IAB Europe has developed transparency and consent f- mm, uh, framework yeah. to assist third party vendors. That information is there. Um, but I think one other point to, to discuss as well in terms of cookies and, and one of their other uses, because, you know, it's almost like, you know, cookies are all bad mm. and, and, you know, the sinister nature of cookies is all people speak about. But again, we know um, to go back to the relevant content, that's not going to work unless you use cookies. And similarly, in terms of actually seeing advertising that you that you might be interested in, surely that's better than than advertising that's not even targeted at you. And finally, for advertisers, um, capping advertising is, is all cookie based. Um, and that is incredibly important. Otherwise, it's complete waste of, of your spend and terribly annoying to the user. So, you know, we do need to come up with solutions in that respect as an industry and work together to to solve those issues and make it a better experience for everybody. Yeah, and I think it's a great point because we do think uh, when, when you think about cookies and data, we, we think use of data is bad and use of data is not bad. Misuse of data is bad. And I think that's a very important distinction. So you talked about it there. Um, you know, we, we think that when we block cookies that we will block advertising. You won't block advertising. What you As a user, you block relevant advertising and you're just going to be targeted back in the the bad old ways maybe and um, seeing irrelevant messages, seeing the same ad 20, 30, 40 different times. I think, Peter, from a, in the article again, you mentioned something called persistent context. Do you want to just elaborate on that and talk about what that meant from a user point of view? Sure, yeah. This actually reminded me of a, a focus group I was in around 10 years ago. I used to work in a telco and we asked people who, about the messages they received from us and they hated spam. Uh, but when we'd say, oh, well, we sent this message about, you know, get five euro free credit or and they say, oh, that wasn't marketing. That was just an offer. Yeah, I wanted that. You know, and it, it, they didn't even describe them in the same ways. Well targeted messaging was just described as an offer or a message, yeah. whereas poorly targeted mar- marketing was described as spam. And uh, I think sometimes the average consumer even forgets that it's super annoying for an advertiser to waste your money targeting people that don't want to see your message. And usually it's because the two reasons you do it is one, because you don't have the tech to enable you to to target properly. And the other is because you don't have the time. Uh, um, People, even with the perfect one-to-one marketing, people can't write a million different variations of copy. Uh, so we'll never get truly there. But persistent context uh, was your question. So yeah, I, I, I don't know where I read this phrase once, but I liked it as the notion that uh, I like the metaphor of thinking about a, a telephone call, that if you're on a phone call with somebody and you mention something five minutes in, that can be referred back to you know somebody who you're talking to knows yeah. the context of that conversation. It's based on what you've been talking to up to the state. Whereas the internet just didn't work that way. Right. It's 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 packet switched. You don't open a line with a website. You request a website from them. Then five minutes later, you click and request the second website. And those sit as two distinct transactions. Yeah. So what cookies do is just help add a bit of context, context for that. Right. Like this is the person. So 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 basic things like. 
is this person somebody who's arrived here for the first time or do my visitors come once a week or do they come once a month? Do people read three articles on my news website every time they visit or do they read five? So it adds a bit of persistent context, basically, the cookie. And in a lot of ways, some of that has been abused a little bit to track people around the website or abused a lot, sorry, in some cases. Yeah. Um, but also when we when we lose this, we will lose some of that as well, which is knowing uh, the persistent context, both on my website and on other around the web generally, is this the tenth time somebody is seeing this ad, yeah. or is it the first time? Mm. And, yeah. and we'll lose some of the benefits that mm. come with that too. Yeah. So that's a that's a big challenge for well advertisers and inadvertently then users. Twenty twenty two seems like on the one hand it seems like there's plenty of time to sort this out, but it is a it's a fundamentally different solution that we need to it, um, and deadlines focus on mine. But do we think? And it's an open question. Do, do you, Suzanne, we'll start with you. Do you think we'll be ready for this in 2022? Do you think we'll have a, a fully developed solution, a workaround, if you will, a compliant well, workaround? I think we'll have to be. I mean, I think, you know, um, as I say, what we can say about our industry is that there've been, there has been huge change, fundamental change in a very short space of time. Um, there are uh, great minds looking at this um, from an opportunity and um, a new, I suppose, a new opportunity in terms of advertisers, agencies and publishers um, and already first party data is becoming more and more important. Um, as I say, you know, we're in Q1 of this year and our members are already looking at this and talking about it. We're having the podcast. Um, you know, there are companies all over the world and a lot in the United States and elsewhere who are looking at it. So I would be confident. I wouldn't be complacent. And I suppose as the trade or trade org, I would be saying, yes, my concern is for my members and particularly, you know, I would have to say the, the local market very much so, which has less resources than than other markets due to uh, market size. We will be feeding in what the best information is available. Um, we will be sharing that and we'll be assisting our members to work together and, and more than likely running an event, looking at this and looking at the opportunities and solutions that are out there for the industry, because I think that's part, that's our role, um, assisting and pushing and seeking to get the best information and solution for the Irish market. It sounds like this is bad business for Google because a lot of their display business is, is built. It's it's cookie-based business, um, which begs the question, why why would they do this on, on, before they have a solution in place? Peter, do you think, um, is it just in case they had to do it? Uh, just like, do, they may as well just give it a bit of notice and, and do it? Or Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'm really only... Only Google would know, and really only people very senior in Google would know. I mean, I guess the rock and the hard place they're stuck in between is, um, like in some ways they benefit hugely because the, the advertising solutions that will be most powerful in the future are ones where somebody is logged in, you know, and a known user to that publisher. So that's Facebook, obviously, and Facebook's platforms, but it's a lot of Google's. Google have like a billion people sign into the mm. Google, Gmail, YouTube, search. So in many ways, Google stands to benefit from this. Obviously, their display piece is what you're talking about, is something that's very cookie-based, all the double-click business within there. Um, and maybe they're stuck between that and the notion that they don't want to get hauled in front of Congress all the time anymore. Mm. Uh, like, very seriously, like Larry Page and Sergey Brin have stepped down from leading Alphabet and uh, Sundar Pichai has stepped up. And they kind of pretty much said that, that they, I don't think the two techie co-founders want to spend yeah. the next decade in EU, US regulatory battles, which is probably 
what's coming their way. So yeah, ended. a bit of getting out ahead of it, a bit of yeah. uh, being seen to be good corporate citizens, uh, self-regulation to stop over-regulation. Uh, I'm sure it's it's all of the above. Um, yeah, maybe they're maybe they are leaping before they fully yeah. figured out uh, where they land. Maybe they have a, a decent idea of, of what's in store. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it's and it is worth because I probably criticize them a little bit and Facebook and I think it's a good thing that they've come out and, and you know force everyone's hand on that uh, this is something that's probably close to, to, to my heart as I've seen the, the agency change so the industry has shifted um, and I, I always had a bit of a problem with this one because the, the, the narrative around uh, what seemed to happen for me in the industry was that targeting replaced planning and I think once we had the ability to target this user wherever they showed up, irrespective of context, the, the delivery of campaigns and what would have been a planner's job then ultimately became a trading desk job. Um, and I think the industry generally, and it's not just in that sense, but I think with technological capabilities, um, we, we shortcutted the art of planning. And I think agencies lost a little bit of that art of planning. So I guess from a planner's point of view, I think this is good from being a profession and being somebody in the industry, it, the art of planning will become more important. And I think there's going to be an importance in, in the a return to context. Do you agree with that, Suzanne? Let's start with um, yeah, I, I think um, I think certainly, and you know, and, and I think um, that's a view that is expressed um, across the industry in terms of opportunities. And I think, um, in many ways, you know, that's where agencies add value and, and assist their brands and bring that you know expertise. Um, I think you know, there certainly is an opportunity there and it makes sense. I think also for publishers, and I would hope so um, for, you know, for a quality premium publishers, um, I think there's an opportunity for them also to, you know, highlight their first party um, data and and perhaps, and, and, and like you to a certain extent, Dave, you know, I, I come from a world of, you know, previously radio and outdoor and worked across all those industries and TV. So, you know, um, I do understand how things have changed and I think there will always be a blend and a need for both. And technology mm. undoubtedly has been amazing and has provided. And, and I think it's not just for agencies or publishers. Advertisers will not want to want to lose the quality of the information they no, have absolutely. and that opportunity and that ability to buy, you know, large audiences. But also, I think there is now an important focus in terms of actually the context and what users want and how to do that in a way that works for users, users privacy. Um, and that is I think that is not going to change. And once these changes come into play, um, you know, we will have a new landscape with very much the user dictating the way they want to be treated more and more online with that power. Mm. Um, and that'd be an interesting um, opportunity and I suppose challenge for the industry. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. And I think if, if we say context is, it's a blend, as you say, but context is going to be more important. Peter, does that mean for publishers' point of view, because when we think about what programmatic and uh, being able to target people at an ID level meant, that it didn't matter where you showed up, which to me always sounded a little bit crazy. And um, because what it did was it actually completely commoditized the price of inventory. And whether that is an article on the Irish Times or, you know, something in BuzzFeed about, I, I said before, about, you know, how adorable cats are. It, these things are not the same to create, um, but the industry place the same value on them because they were an impression for that audience. And I think with context, in terms of putting a publisher's hat on, do you think this is good news? The, the return of context is good for publishers? Or do you think that we said before it will it will benefit Facebook and anybody with logged in users? So assuming that publishers can get their 
act together and like they've done in the UK with the ozone project and, and develop and, and Suzanne, you might be consulting with them on that type of thing. Is it good news for publishers or is this another cut that, that leads yeah. to a slow death for them? I, I think there are good parts in this that some publishers can grab hold of. Um, so I actually think like some of this is also in a wider context that you've been talking about. I think about my own journey when I was say 10, 15 years ago, starting out, uh, I was the digital guy in a team that was mostly doing radio and TV and stuff. And it used to absolutely frustrate the hell out of me. I was a young lad in the room shape and go, but, but how are you measuring this? How, how do you know? You know? And it was a large telco. So they were like, look, we just, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, we can spend a grand we'll spend on Google lot. ads, but we actually need to spend, you know, where do we spend a hundred grand here? And you couldn't do it digitally and all, all that. And I think an interesting thing that's happened over the uh, the intervening time is that there's now, I think the pendulum swung a little bit too far in that direction of measuring everything and optimizing uh, for like short attribution windows and how mm. are we doing all that. Um, and now conversations that are starting to become popular in the industry are, well, how do you build a brand? Like, how do you think long-term? What are the, what, what's the long-term relationship piece? And even on the YouTube side, say people are saying, okay, sure, I get this uh, video ad in front of the exact right person I want, but in the context of them watching some like crazy weird stuff on mm. YouTube or stuff that isn't brand safe or what am I supporting? I, I often think about it for Twitter as well of how like angry everyone is when they're on Twitter <laughs> or anxiety filled. I'm sure there are some products that work better there. So yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot of what our technology got us is targeting the right person, but. But without within, any context, without any context. Yeah. yeah, there's no understanding of the mood they're in or what else they're reading yeah. or what frame of mind they're in. So I think I think uh, publishers that can uh, might have a chance to re-deliver some of that if they if they grab it with two hands. Yeah. yeah and, and I think they, they the only they, they really have to, to get logged in users that that has to happen. And that opens up a debate about, you know, paywalls, but it, it can be a data paywall, arguably. And yeah. we probably might see we've seen before. Uh, shared ID for login, one one ID unlocks variety of content. So I, I think it's interesting times. Um, and both is what you're talking about there, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not that publishers should say, oh, great, uh, identification is going away. Now people are going to have to spend lots yes. of money like they used to because uh, they can't you know, mm. pick and choose audiences. It's it's both. Like you're going to have to say, this is the this is the person you want. I'm not showing, uh, you know, ads for nappies to non-parents. Yeah. You're going to have to say both, I can help you find the right yeah. audience and the context is the right context. And that might yeah. effectively increase CPMs in the market as... as yeah, which I think everybody wants to see. And I think, and again... Well, as maybe not speaking, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of, uh, you know, everybody wants to see in terms of actually getting the, the right audience in the right brand safe environment yeah. um, and having, an, you know, um, basically an engaged user. Um, so I think the issue with CPMs is, you know, you should be paying for what you get. And if the experience overall everybody is good and the branding potential which I think we've been talking about in terms mm. of digital for, since I started and it hasn't really been unlocked and yeah. really for for some of the reasons that Peter um, outlined and, and you know some of it comes back to almost the traditional advertising practices you were speaking of and that trusted relationship in the right context and and 
creativity comes into it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so absolutely. I think, you know, with all of with the the issues in terms of cookies, then perhaps there's, there are opportunities there as well to to look at that um, opportunity, to look at an advertising environment that is more respectful, less clutter, more quality to the right person at the right place in the right time with the user's consent. I mean, that is what yeah. we would want yeah. the industry to have. And undoubtedly, the results and the effectiveness of that in terms of a brand you know, will have long-term potential mm. and not just short-termism, which is, has been perhaps the, the, the way digital today. has previously been been looked at. Yeah. Peter, just one last question to you, which would be, we have two years, everyone listening has two years to, to kind of get their act together. What advice would you be giving people now to get themselves ready? Not not in terms of um, legal advice here, which we'll hold you to, <laughs> sure, in terms yeah. of strategy and planning and that kind of thing. I'll be off in GDPR jail. Yeah. Um, I think at a broad sense, if first-party data or building your opt-in list, as we used to call it, but like consent-based now, if that's not a large part of your strategy or your digital strategy, it, it needs to be. Um, if you, It's really hard to know where a lot of these chips are going to fall, right? How Google or the regulators, the e-privacy regulation, how it's all going to... There's so many moving parts in it. But there's one thing you you can make a decent prediction that the businesses that will be thriving in five years time, say, are probably the ones that have uh, happy customers who are who they like they deeply they're using data and technology to understand that relationship with their customer, understanding what the customer wants to hear from them when they want to hear from them, how they want to hear from them. And they're just nurturing that relationship over time. And they're using, whether it's cookies or or mm. first-party data or mm. databases or whatever tech is now or, or will be in the future, they're using that like in the service of, of building up that relationship over time. Yeah. Suzanne? Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, mutually respectful, beneficial mm. relationship, I think that's yeah. at the core of it. I think the user is not... And, you know, digital empowered the user and and the user is not a passive, um, you know, robot like person that um, just is going to accept all sorts of, um, you know, uh, invitations. They they will want to have a relationship and they will want to have that trust and confidence. And I think they will reward companies who respect that. Um, And, you know, in our market, we have some amazing businesses um, that have fantastic long term relationships with users. um, And really, yes, they do need to um, be proactive in terms of seeking first party data and do that in, in, in a very managed way. And we need to look at other solutions. And, and our job as the trade organization is to assist in that as much as we can to, um, you know, to uh, explore those other opportunities and let companies choose for themselves. They will mm. they will be a, a range of choices, um, but just to facilitate that and to educate really in that respect. And we look forward to doing that and, and invite anyone who um, is interested in that to, to come to us and, and contact us in that respect. Great. Peter, where can people who are listening find out a little bit more about you and what you do in your company? Sure, yeah. We Our, our goal is to help companies understand that relationship with their, their customers and, and build it stronger. And you can find us at nimblemetrics.io or just search for my name on LinkedIn. Great. And Suzanne, I'm sure everyone knows where to find you, but go ahead. You may as well get a plug in. <laughs> So it's um, ibireland.ie is the website and it's Suzanne at ibireland.ie. Great. Um, thanks, guys, for joining me. It was really interesting. Thanks, thanks for, for coming in. Um, and thanks to Kira and Andrea on sound. And thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions. So until next week, bye bye. This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.